Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it can be found on page 978 in the Bibles, uh, in the chairs in front of you. And it's hard to believe we're in chapter 5, finally. So if you've come in late and you're filling out the back and you feel like you need some more elbow room, if you ever want to come to the front where we are, there's extra free grace. So just want to make that offer to you. Plus, I can't see you if you fall asleep, which you're not allowed to do. So. Ephesians chapter 5, just two verses in our passage this morning, verses 1 and 2. This is God's holy Inerrant and authoritative word to us this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at the eternal truths found in your word, the scriptures, our Bibles, would you, would you help us to, to walk? Would you give us the strength to walk in a manner worthy of our calling? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been called on by someone to to do something, and you thought to yourself, there's no way I, I can do that. There, there's no way I can do what you're asking me to do. Or, or have you ever been required to, to live up to a, a certain standard? You've had expectations put on you that seem almost impossible to, to meet? Have you ever thought to yourself, there's, there's no way there's no way I can do that. There's no way I can meet your expectations. There's no way I can live up to that standard that you're setting for me. And that is what we have here in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. This is perhaps the, the highest standard in all of the world, in all of history, in all of the cosmos. The highest thing that we are called to achieve. Paul says, be imitators of God. After all the apostle has been teaching uh, to the church in Ephesus, and, and we've looked at this practical application in chapter 4 and how these practical applications are for all of the church, for all of time, and how we're to walk with Christ, how we're to live sanctified and holy lives by putting off sin, putting off unrighteousness, and putting on righteousness and holiness and all these good things of God. And then we're told very practically how we do this. We looked at that at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. And then Paul summarizes all this and says, you know, really all you have to do in the Christian life is, is just imitate God. At this point, I want to say, gee, thanks a lot, Paul. I mean, that's like saying, look, if you just play basketball like Michael Jordan, you should be fine. You know, if you could just play golf like... You know, Phil Mickelson, you, you, should be, you should be great. Just do that. And most of us can't live up to that. We can't 
meet this standard. So, so why would Paul tell us to do something that seems impossible? But nevertheless, this is the imperative. This is the command. This is the instruction for discipleship that we are given here. It's the ultimate standard. It's the ultimate model. It's the, it's the sum of our duty in the Christian life. We are to imitate God. There's one thing that you've heard me say over and over and over, and you've heard your Sunday school teachers say over and over and over, and you've heard many teachers of God's word say this over and over, that we are called to be Christ-like. We're called to be Christ-like. That's what the Christian life is. We're called to, to imitate Christ. And, and when we hear that, you may think in your mind at the first, is, yeah, I, I could try to do that. I mean, Jesus was a man. He did walk this earth. He did give us a principles to follow by. He, he demonstrated love and service and mercy in so many ways. And of course, we want to try to imitate him and be like him. That seems reasonable. But being called to imitate God, you know, the God, the father, the, the holy one. Seems like a whole nother matter. It seems like a whole nother standard where we're called to here. We, we understand Jesus and his, his manhood and his personhood that he walked this earth and he lived among us. But, but God who dwells in eternity, the unseen God, how could we possibly imitate the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord of creation, the, the giver of life? How could we do that? And yet that's what we are called to do. We are called to imitate God. So there's two things we'll look at this morning when it comes to our, the call to imitate God. We're to imitate God for who he is, and we're to imitate God for what he has done. That is it. That is it. We're to imitate God for who he is and what he has done. The first, Paul says in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We imitate God because of who he is. The call to imitate God, the call to be like him, to understand what that means, I think it's helpful to look at what the theologians have called the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. Okay, those are, those are big words. We need to unpack that for a minute. But there are attributes, there are characteristics, there's the, the nature of God and who he is. And, and there certainly is a part of him that we are to imitate. We are made in his image. We are to be like him. But yet he is God. He is holy. He is there's no one like him. How can we imitate that part of him? So first, we look at his incommunicable attributes. God has attributes. God has characteristics. God, in his essence, he's not like us. He has attributes that, are, that we don't have. In other words, God has qualities. He has, he has characteristics. He has attributes that are like God is self-existent. God is self-sufficient. God is infinite. God is e eternal. We can't copy these. We can't mimic these. We cannot imitate these. These are God's incommunicable attributes. They're not communicated to us. We cannot share in them. God is self-existent. God has no origins. He answers to no one. 
This sets God apart from everyone and anyone because we are all subject to him. As human beings, we, we answer to someone. Children, you answer your parents. You're called to obey your parents. You're called to respect and obey your teachers. Adults are called to respect and follow the instructions of their bosses. Ultimately, we all answer to God. We are all accountable to someone. But who is God accountable to? No one. He is self-existent. He is the almighty God. He, he's self-sufficient. You know, perhaps that's something this morning that you need to, to wrestle with and grapple with. Does God need you? Does God need you? In Acts, the Apostle Paul is presenting his great apologetic argument And he says in chapter 17, verse 25, that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God is the giver and sustainer of life. He he is self-sufficient. He doesn't have needs. He doesn't depend on anyone or anybody. This is not true of us. We are breathing God's air. We are thankful to him for that rain that we finally got yesterday to provide food, to make things grow so that we can survive. We we are very needy people, but God is not. God is infinite and eternal. Think about that. I tell you to think about that, but really we can't think about that because we can't comprehend it. We cannot comprehend that God has always existed and he will always exist. We, on the other hand, have not always existed. There was a time that we were born into this world, that we were created, and there's a time that we will die. All men are appointed to die. We are also... Fickle. We change a lot. We change our minds about different things. We change our hobbies. We change our careers. We change our thoughts on different matters as time passes. But God does not change. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. God is unchanging. God is majestic and holy and this sets him apart from creation this makes him the lord of all creation he sustains and upholds all things by the word of his power all of god's incommunicable attributes set him apart from us and show us that these are attributes these are ways in which we cannot be like him we are never called anywhere in scripture to be like God's incommunicable attributes because he is God and we are not. And yet, we're told to imitate God. So how do we do that? What does that look like? And that's where we talk about God's communicable attributes. His communicable attributes are the characteristics uh, which we are to 
demonstrate, which we are to exhibit those things in which we do share in with God. Things like righteousness, holiness, justice, wisdom, faithfulness, love, mercy, goodness, compassion, tenderness, forgiveness. We are able to portray these characteristics of God, and indeed we should as followers of Christ. This is basically what the apostle was teaching in the end of Romans chapter 4. We'll visit that here in a minute. But when we think of the way that we're to perform these attributes, the, the, the way that God performs them, they're, they're, there's no comparison. I mean, how could we imitate God perfectly on these ways that he's called us to? to? I mean, how could we compare our love to his love? How can we compare our goodness to his goodness? Because there is no comparison. Yet these attributes are to be a part of our lives. These attributes, these characteristics, they're to be part of our walk with Christ. And so how do we do this? And that's where the Apostle Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the key there. We are to imitate God as beloved children. What does this mean, imitate God as beloved children? In other words, a son is called to imitate a godly father. I should be setting an example for my sons on what a godly man should look like and what a godly father should look like, yet my sons aren't called to be fathers at this point. It's the same way with daughters. They're to imitate godly mothers, though they're not mothers yet. We imitate God as his children. He is our heavenly father. We're striving to be like him as his children. And he's given us help to do this. We've learned in Ephesians that he's given us his Holy Spirit who dwells with us, that gives us grace and power to live as children of God, to walk as children of God. We, we can't imitate God since being, being like God, being a God, but we can strive to be like him in his attributes that he has given us. Righteousness, holiness, love, tenderness, forgiveness, all of these good things. But yet our sinful nature will get in the way of this. Our old man will get in the way of this, especially when we try to be our own God especially when we try to be the Lord and giver of life, when he is the only Lord and giver of life, yet he gives us his Holy Spirit to help us put off the old, and put on the new, to be like him. We imitate him for who he is, but we also imitate him for what he has done. Look in verse 2. It says, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We imitate God for what he has done. When Paul tells us to imitate God, he has, he has something very specific in mind for us that we are to imitate. And I think this certainly includes, if you look back to verse 32 of chapter 4, through these verses that we're looking at now, remember that Bible verses aren't inspired. They weren't there in the beginning. They're added there for reference. And so we have to get the context of 
Paul's thought here. And so specifically, we're to imitate the love of God. We're to imitate the love of God. What kind of love is this? Well, the Greek word for love used here in these verses is agape. There are four different Greek words used in our New Testament scriptures for the word love. It's a, it's a complicated word. It's a complex word. It, it has different meanings and different functions. And here it's the, the greatest love imaginable. It's agape love. Agape love is love that actually does something. It's love that demonstrates itself. It's love that is it's a costly love. Agape love is a forgiving love. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He provided forgiveness for sins, Jesus did. We are are to forgive one another as God forgave us through Jesus' work on the cross. And it's only through knowing that we are forgiven in God's eyes that we are free to forgive others lovingly. I mentioned last time that these are some verses that I use in premarital and marital counseling all enough, a lot. And I always come back to those verses, verse 32 of chapter 4 and of the first two verses of chapter 5. And I look at the husband and wife or husband and wife to be and I ask them, do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has forgiven you of everything? Everything. Has God forgiven you of what seems unforgivable? And the truth is, he has. He has. Not because of anything you have done, but because of the forgiving love of Christ. And so I look at these couples and I say, that's not, a, that's not a license to do whatever you want. But it is the freedom to forgive and love one another. Because if we really believe this, if the gospel is true, if it's really that good, then we can forgive each other of anything. If we truly see ourselves as unrighteous, and condemn sinners in the sight of God, and see that it is only through the cross that we are forgiven, then we can love and we can forgive others. We can imitate God. If we are not loving people enough to forgive them, then we, then we don't understand, then we don't get the gospel to the extent that we see that it goes further than we can imagine. In Christ We have been forgiven of everything, everything, and we are to forgive others. We are to see ourselves as forgiven sinners so that we are free to love others, forgive others, serve others, and by doing this, we imitate God. Agape love is is giving love. It's not just forgiving, but it, it gives something. What does God give us? He gives us life, eternal life through his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus gives us his life. 
James Montgomery Boyce said, the greatest expression of love is not that it gives things or even that it gives up things, but that it gives itself. That is God's love. He gave himself. Agape love is an active love. It, 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 again, it does something. We're called to walk in love. That's what he says in verse 2. And walk in love. Love in action. There's a practical way that we walk in love. It, it, it moves us forward. There's this, this is the very thing that the apostle has been teaching us since chapter 4. I mean, if you want to glance back there, he says, here's how you walk in love. You stop lying. You put off lying, and you speak the truth. Here's another way that you walk in love. You, you put off your anger, and you put on self-control. And yet another, we stop stealing, and we work for God. We help others in need. We, we walk in love by putting off hurtful, hateful, harmful speech. And we speak in such a way that it benefits others, it loves others. We, we put off bitterness, rage, anger, fighting, slander, all forms of malice. And we imitate God. We walk in love by being kind and compassionate and forgiving. This is what it means to walk in love and imitate God. And we walk in this love by the power of the gospel. This is gospel living. Our love is made alive. Our love is made righteous because of the eternal love of the Father. Because our love is fallen. Our love is, is weak. Our love is often untrustworthy and fickle. But God's love is perfect. And that's why we strive to be like him. We can't possess this perfect Eternal love in and of ourselves, but if we look to God and his perfect love demonstrated to us through Christ on the cross, through the gospel, we can. We imitate God through the power of the gospel. Imitating God is not natural to us. We are not inclined to do this. As the song says, we are, we are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. We, we can't do it on our own, and that's why we need a Savior. The strength to do this can be found in the gospel. To walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so that is the supreme ethic. You know, I've been seeing lots of commercials during football games about love and how great it is. And if you're not careful, you will miss it. And here's what you need to see. They're making love out to be God. Take out G-O-D and just, let's just make love the ultimate God. Yes, love is the supreme ethic. Love is that driving force. It is, it is our heart's desire. It's what we want, all want and love and crave. But brothers and sisters, it has to be agape love, gospel love, biblical love, 
Christ's love. That's the best love. That's the love that works. That's the love that does something for us. That's the love that will not fail you or let you down and is unbending. Agape love. And so we're called to imitate God in this way. When Paul says to be imitators of God, the word here really means to mimic, which means we're to, we're to copy him, we're to repeat his actions. We're to imitate God's attributes that are communicable to us, our, our speech. We're to strive to be godly as he is set forth in his word. But I'll tell you this morning, what is it the saying goes, more is caught than taught? You know, I could sit my children down every day and give them, you know, a list of 10 instructions on how for godly living. But if they don't see me doing it, it's not going to work. It's the same for us. If we want to imitate God, if we want to live out the gospel as we're calling to here, then brothers and sisters, we, we've got to spend time with them. We have to spend time with the Lord in personal worship. And this is why we preach, and this is why he's been saying to renew your minds through prayer, through Bible study, through fellowship, through time with other believers, through discipleship, through Sunday school, through music, through the sacraments, through worship. All of these things are so mission critical when it comes to imitating God. We can't do it on our own. We can't make ourselves be this way. We must spend time with God so that we become like him. And so spending time with God, then we will see just how much, just how far, just how deep, just how wide the gospel is and how much we've been given through our perfect Savior. And so as we prepare for the supper that is before us this morning, there's one truth that we need to meditate on that this passage calls us to, and it is this. Look there in verse 2. We imitate God, we do these things, and we can do these things because Christ gave himself up for us. Christ gave himself up for us. He turned himself over to God and said, I will satisfy your justice. I will drink the cup of wrath. I will take on the punishment due for sin. And so Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all. There is no need for us to try to appease God daily by our works and somehow sacrifice ourselves. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect. It was final. No longer must the priest walk into the temple with the fragrance and the incense to please God through sacrifice and through the burning of incense because Jesus Jesus' death was that perfect sacrifice. 
that aroma that is given off when he said it was finished. It satisfied God completely and forever. So Christ is sufficient. That's what this table means. It is the gospel that satisfies. It is the gospel that nourishes us and strengthens us. And so brothers and sisters, may God help us to imitate him as he strengthens us this morning with the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us to believe how good and how sweet and how awesome the gospel is. Give us strength to to believe it and to, to be nourished and strengthened by it so that we may imitate you. Lord, help us to walk in love as you have loved us, as you have shown us what this means. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.